Um, I want to just say that um, I, I personally, my, my family, speaking on behalf of my family, we have been so blessed by this church family, by the people here. Um, I look out across the group tonight, uh, this morning, tonight. It's my second time through, so cut me some slack, all right? Um, I look across here today, I see so many of you that have blessed us in so many ways, and my heart is full. And I know that, uh, that this, what I'm seeing here today, what we experience here today, is a foretaste of what is to come. This is what heaven's going to be all about. I don't know if you realize that. But I want you to know this today, that the church is described in the scripture as a family. And for some people that freaks you out because you maybe didn't have a great family experience growing up. I uh, was just talking to somebody this past week that was telling me how, how much they love our church and um, how they've never really been treated like they're a family member. They were telling me that um, on her husband's side, the family's dysfunctional. On her side, it's a little bit dysfunctional. But uh, she's come here and uh, has actually gone to church for some years, but because of circumstances, uh, uh, ended up coming here because she had to leave where she was. She said, I've never really, I've never really experienced family before. And she said, furthermore, I've never really understood. He said, I just don't get it. It's just amazing. You're, you're, you people are so good to us. Well, I'm going to tell you more about that in just a moment. But let me just say this to you. That those who are followers of Jesus Christ are expected by God to join the family, become part of the family, to find your place in the family. A Christian without a church home is an orphan. And so this morning, as we end the series, um, instructing and guiding you in your, in your own personal Christian journey. My prayer is that you begin to learn to love the family of God the way that I do, the way my family does. And you know what, when I hear, when I, you know, see my kids, all, all of them engaged heavily in the church and, and, you know, going to Costa Rica and helping to decorate. I hope, by the way, we've got a good number of people who are staying behind after the service to help us decorate because it's, it's phenomenal. But to see them do that and willing to give up their time to do this, man, it just does my heart so good. And I say, God, thank you for the family that we belong to. Now, I want you to recognize the importance of the family to God. I want you to know that the family is God's idea, both the, both the, the physical or earthly family as well as what we would call the eternal family or the heavenly family, the family of God, the church, whatever terminology you want to use. It's God's idea. God's the one that invented it. And we know it because at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, God creates Adam and Eve and tells them, go, he says to them, go make a family. That's basically what God said to them, go make a family. It starts right at the very beginning of the Bible. And here's the thing, if you don't understand this, then so much of the way God works and moves and so much of what God does in your life will not make sense. If you don't understand that God does so much of his work in the context of the family, the family of God. Now, we read to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, or 20, yeah, 22, 21, verse 21, and it says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Again, we're talking about the family. So from beginning to end, we see that, that the family of God, that the family... God's idea is of the utmost importance to God. So I'm going to ask you the question this morning. How important is it to you? How important is the family of God to you? 
Well, at the end of the service today, I'm going to read a letter that someone sent me um, after the sermon last week. Um, you'll maybe some of you will remember the the passage of scripture that I read to you from uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse nineteen. It says, "You are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian." And I said that the two great needs that every human has is a is a a need to belong, to feel that they belong, that they are loved, that they're accepted, they're included. And then the other great need is a need for significance, that your life counts, that you do, you're doing something that really, really matters. This is why we are involved in Burundi. This is why we're investing in our young people going to Costa Rica. Because we understand that not only is it important for them to come here and belong, but they need to do something significant. That's what we're about. It's in the context of the family that you grow, that you learn. We said last week that you have your the rough edges knocked off. It's in the context of this family that you become all that God wants you to become. Now, here's what I know after being in the ministry for a, a number of years, a good number of years, 30 years. Can you believe I've been a pastor for 30 years? I can't hardly believe it. Um, I started when I was just five. Uh, you, you do the arithmetic, uh, but listen to this, listen. Here's what I've discovered. The very first sign of, of backsliding or of losing your passion for God is an invisible sign that nobody else knows about but you. You lose your excitement, you lose your joy, you lose your interest in your relationship to God. Nobody sees that. It's an invisible sign. But you know inside your heart's gone cold and you haven't got the excitement or the joy that, that should go with that. Now here's what I've discovered. I discovered that if this is allowed to persist in your life, the second thing that happens is that you lose interest in the family of God. It's interesting. The first thing that goes is your relationship to God, and the second thing that goes is your relationship to other believers, other people who have, are supposed to have the same passion as you. Now, this sign is not invisible. It becomes obvious. People start asking the questions, Hey, where is, where is Joe? Where is Jim? Where is Sue? You know what I'm saying? People could see that. And next thing you know, they've just kind of drifted away and sort of fallen off the map. They sort of can't find their way. Well, there's a reason why this happens, and I want to share, it with, share that with you today. Before I do, though, I want to share with you a scripture verse that guides us in this journey called the Christian life. And here's what the Apostle Peter but the Apostle Peter, if you don't know who that is, is sort of the, the apostle, one of the, the sort of the, the lead disciple. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church calls Peter the very first pope. And uh, here's what he says in giving instructions to believers. He says, you should be like one big happy family. Let's read it together. You should be like one big happy family full of sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. Now, if you look at this passage of Scripture in the original language in which it was written, the Greek language, where we, where we translate it, one big happy family, the word there is, that's used is harmony, um, omorphonis. And it's... it's the, 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 the idea that comes from that is that we are functioning together with one mind. We're happy together. We are functioning 
with the gifts and the talents that we have, but we're all functioning for the same purpose. That's the picture that's being that's been drawn for us. I mean, really, it's the it's the best picture to describe what it means to belong. Now, anybody here ever play uh, on uh, play sports, uh, play uh, on a team team sport of some sort? Anybody like that? Three of us did. The rest played golf. <laughs> it's every man for himself. I played. I played hockey. Um, you wouldn't. You wouldn't know that to look at me. Um, but I did. I played hockey. I played up till I was age 15. And I can tell you, there's no greater feeling, more exciting feeling in the earth, on the earth, uh, at least when you're that age, than been being part of a team that has all done their part and played well and has won. Man, it's exciting. The, the, the goalie has done his job well, and the defenseman has done, they've done their job well, and the forwards have done their job well. Everybody's functioning as though they were one person. This is the picture that is being drawn for us. One big happy family, working harmoniously. You all have your part to play, you're, and it's different, but we're all, we're all sort of singing the same melody. When I was in grade 7... My mother made me sing in the choir at the school that I went to. All my other friends said, I'm going to sing in the choir. That's, that's for the girls, not for the guys. And my mother didn't care what anybody said. You're singing in the choir. And I was so angry that I couldn't sit out with my friends. Uh, it, was, it was not compulsory for, for the kids that attended that school. I went to MBCI on Talbot Avenue. And if, if you know the Mennonites, they're known for their choirs. So here I am, the only Pentecostal in the Mennonite choir, and feeling really, really out of place. Um, but I was there, and we were broken up. We were broken up into our groups, and I mean, I had no experience with choir. I had no idea what was going on. And one group went over there, another one over there, and another over there, and each of us was to learn learn our part. What does that mean? And it was incredibly boring because it'd be somebody on the piano plunking out, out the notes for that part. Now, has anybody sang in a choir and ever experienced that? Dun, 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 dun. Okay, you know, you're not singing. You're not singing a melody. You're singing a part. So you don't know what you're singing. It's not exciting. It's boring. It sounds really stupid. This group of people singing a part. And, you, and I'm thinking to myself, my mother, what has she done to me? How could she do this to me? And then we, once we had learned our part, the choir director brought us all back together and said, okay, we're all going to sing our parts together. And I'm going to tell you, Pope, folks, this was a turning point in my life. Because suddenly, my part that sounded so ridiculous and it was so boring, mind-numbingly boring, Suddenly, it blended together with others who were singing different parts, but together, we were singing one song. And it was the most incredible experience of my young life. To function together as a team, all singing our different parts, but all singing the same song. Folks, this is what it means to belong, and this is the picture that Peter is drawing for us. The problem with so many of us today in our culture, in our society, is that we are very much independent. We don't want to submit to the team. You hear what I'm saying? We don't want to become part of the group, part of the team. We would rather all be golfers, where it's me versus you. Have you ever gone golfing with anybody? I've gone a few times. 
And it's, it really is not my, my favorite sport. Uh, probably because I'm not very good at it. But here's what happens at the end of the game. I went with my buddy Eddie Weens. We went golfing, and at the end of the and he, the whole time we're golfing, he's he's keeping his scorecard, and he's also keeping mine, right? Making sure he's keeping track of the strokes. And uh, about halfway through, he says, "Well, this is how many strokes you've got." And I said, "Well, how do you know that?" He said, "Well, I've been counting." I said, "Well, aren't you having been counting your own strokes?" Because yeah, I've been counting mine, but I've been counting yours too, just to make sure. I said, make sure of what? Just making sure. You, you know what he's saying, right? Making sure you don't. So I said, I thought we were supposed to be having fun here. Now suddenly we're, it's a competition. Two buddies going out golfing, and now we're in competition with one another. Okay, look, I'm taking it to a bit of an extreme because going out for a walk on the golf course is kind of fun. Um, throwing your golf clubs in the water is great fun. Bending them over your knees, chucking across. Yeah, that's great fun. But the idea of playing together, achieving something together, this is the picture that we see here. And so when I went on to Bible school, I was asked to sing in the, in the, uh, the, the it was this singing group for the college that represented this, the college. It was called Common Bond. It was a phenomenal experience. And again, this opportunity to travel all over the place. But here was the exciting thing. It wasn't the traveling all over the place, singing on behalf of the school. But it was being able to function with a group of others who understood the need to submit to the group. You know, I see a lot of unhappy people in church. And the reason you're unhappy is because you've never learned what it means to submit to the group. To be more concerned about the feelings and the thoughts of others than your own thoughts and feelings. I've had people come to me and say, you know, I don't know why I don't fit in. I don't know why I I can't connect. And I'll tell you why. It's because you haven't learned yet to be considerate of the other person's thoughts and feelings. We we have this this notion or this idea that everybody's got to conform to me. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is not a biblical notion. This is not a biblical idea. This is, a, oh, this, is, this is the way the world functions. It's all about me. But with Christianity, it's all about we. And until you understand that, you really can't get, get what the church is all about. Because it's, it's learning what it means to come together and function as one. And I can tell you, If you haven't experienced that yet, then you really don't understand the full joy or the great happiness that Peter talks about here, the great happiness that comes with belonging to the family. Justin Martyr, great church father, he lived from AD 100 to AD 165. Somewhere in between there, um, he, he wrote this, describing the early church. This is when the church was still in its infancy. Here's, what he, how, here's how he described it. He says, We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else, we now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. Wow, what a change. He's actually describing what I was just talking about. Me versus we. When you follow Christ, when you become part of Cross Church... What you're saying now is it's not about me, it's about we. He goes on to say this about the early church. We used to hate and destroy one another. We used to be in competition with one another. Golf. 
We used to refuse to associate with people of another race or country. But now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Wow. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. Folks, this was the first time in recorded history when people from different races, different backgrounds, different creeds, people with different socioeconomic levels, they all come together as one. Justin Martyr said, this is what the early church used to look like. Now listen, if you want to understand the joy of belonging, then you need to understand that it's not about me, it's about we. Would you say this with me? It's not about me, it's about we. Tell the person beside you that. See what they say. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, that's enough. It's enough class. Class? Okay. So when you leave here today, you're going to leave here with those words echoing in your head. You're gonna, you've heard them from me and have heard them from your neighbor now, so you're not going to forget it. Right? Right? It's not about me. It's about we. Paul goes on to, or Peter goes on to say this. He says, this, or this one big happy family should be full of what? Sympathy. Again, the word sympathy in Greek, very simply, sympathies, which means being together emotion, or, or another way to put it, moving in the same direction together, having this, the same feelings together. So here's a cool thing. So when I suffer, when I'm going through a difficult time, then everybody suffers with me. And when I rejoice, you all rejoice with me. I'm going to tell you, after being here all these years, Gloria and I have discovered that about this, about this church family. When we've gone through a difficult time, then this church has been behind us. Pastor, we're praying for you. We love you. And meals at the door, flowers, and, and just overwhelming sense of love. People feeling what we're feeling. That's, that's an amazing experience. And it's what people desire. It's what people long for. The, the feeling that they're not facing life alone or in their own power or in their own strength. Let me tell you about another early church father. His name was Clement. And he was describing somebody who had actually become a Christian and left his old, you know, old pagan ways and, and actually became a follower of Jesus Christ. And here's what he writes about, this is what Clement writes about this man who now has made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. He says, he impoverishes himself out of love. In other words, he, he puts himself in a position where he has nothing out of love so that he is certain that he may never overlook a brother in need, especially if he knows, this is, this is great, especially if he knows he can bear poverty better than his brother. Amazing. So it's like maybe me looking at Jeff West and say, man, I, could, I probably could suffer better than Jeff, so I better give him what I've got. That's, that's, that's what these early believers were doing. He likewise considers the pain of another as his own pain. And if he suffers any hardship because of having given out of his own poverty, he doesn't complain. Talk about all moving together in one direction. Talk about feeling the feelings of others, the pain and the hurt and the suffering and the joy with others. This, my friends, is what Cross Church is all about. That's what being a part of the church is all about. When Christians sympathize with each other, it's the greatest testimony to the world of what Christianity is really all about. 
Brian Rutten, missionary to Ethiopia. He saw his his Christian brethren in Ethiopia suffering in, in poverty and famine. And so what he did is he mobilized the believers in Canada to raise money for food and, and relief to help the Christians in Ethiopia. Now, folks, this is what the church does. That's what Cross Church does. We've raised close to a million dollars over the last number of years to help those who are in need around the world. It's, it's a thrill, this is a thrilling church to belong to because we, we really practice what we preach. So Brian, uh, Brian Rutten, he, uh, he raised up all this relief, brought it to the believers in Ethiopia, began to distribute it, and then he was saying, like, what? We, we don't seem to have enough. We should have enough. My calculations are correct. Why is it that we don't have enough? And here's what he discovered. He discovered that the Christians who were receiving the relief were distributing it to their Muslim neighbors, sympathizing with their plight. Now, isn't that interesting? They could have said, well, we're Christians, and it was Christians that raised, raised up this food for us, and so we're going to keep it for ourselves. It would have been within their rights, right? And you Muslims, you let, you let the rich Muslims take care of you, and we're going to let the rich Christians take care of us. They didn't do that. Instead, what they did is they took some of the relief that they received and they passed it on to their neighbors. Now, here's, here's, a, here's an amazing thing that happened. These Christians returned to Brian and said, we're out of food. And Brian said, that's impossible. I gave you enough. And then he began, they began to explain what happened. So Brian, recognizing this as an opportunity to really express the love of Christ, came back to the Canadians and said, we need more. And Canadian Christians got on board, not all of them, there's some people that never get it. They just don't understand. You know, we, we say, please give a, donate, a $60 donation to come to this missions event. It's, you're not paying for a meal, people. You're making a donation. $60 over 365 days amounts to about 16 and a half cents a day. Anybody can afford that. One time am I asking for $60. Well, Brian Rutten, he's, I just had to put that in there. So Brian Rutten, Brian Rutten says, people, please help us. And, and we did. We sent it over. And again, distributed it to the Christians. Now listen, this is what he did. He let the Christians distribute it to the Muslims. Because he wanted the Muslim people to experience the love of Jesus Christ. Not the love of a rich country, but the, the love of fellow Ethiopians. And here's what happened. The imam, the Muslim leader of that community declared this. Our own people did not come to our, our rescue in our time of need. So from this day forward, we will serve the God of the Christians. Isn't that amazing? What happened here? The love of Jesus Christ broke down barriers and they began to see what Christianity was really all about. My friends, this is what we're about. This is who we are. We're not about defending our rights and, and defending our, our right to, to do whatever. We're about loving people and about caring for people and meeting the needs of others. I talked to you earlier about these people who were just so amazed that they've been invited or been accepted into our family. I'm going to tell you who it is. Elaine and Brian. Van R. Their son and... And daughter-in-law are the founders of Hope for the Islands, a mission in southern the Philippines. 
and she has almost been single-handedly running the operation. They just recently became members here on the very uh, three weeks ago, in the very first message I preached about membership across church. That couple were standing here to to my left, and we welcomed them into membership. And we, I said, tell me about what your son's doing. And so she came to my office of the day, and we sat and we visited, we talked. And I said, well, here's how we can help. And uh, she said, this is also foreign to me. I, 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 I never experienced this before. My own family doesn't help. Brian's family doesn't help. And the churches we've been involved in, they, we haven't received the, the kind of help that you're offering me. And my question is this, is why are you doing this? Are there strings attached? What's happening here? I said, no, this is what it means to be part of a family. It means you, you're not carrying the load alone. It means we are moving together in the same direction. This is what sympathy is. It's moving together in the same direction. And she said, I said to her, we, we're here for you. We'll do whatever we can to love you, to help you, to serve you. This was absolutely astonishing to her. And you'll, you'll, you'll hear her tell, tell the story. But I said, this is what it means to belong, is that you're not carrying the load alone. And I'm going to tell this to everybody here today. Whatever load you're carrying, whatever pain, whatever struggle you're carrying, you don't have to do it alone. That's what it means to belong to our family. Peter says that we need to, to love each other. Now, some, how many have heard the term uh, tough love? Anybody ever heard of that? Love must be tough. Anybody here? You've heard of that. Sure you have. Can I tell you something? This is not a Bible verse. It's not in the Bible. Here's, here's how Peter describes love. Here, look at this. Loving one another with what? Tender hearts and humble minds. Now that's love. Truly caring for one another. Truly meeting one another's needs. Putting others before yourself. In the Gospels, we read about Jesus. He's out with his disciples. They're preaching the Gospel. They're all worn out and tired. They come back for supper. And you've got to understand, there's, we're living in very different times. In Jesus' day, after a day out on the, uh, on the roads or the, the alleys and, and highways in Israel, I mean, you're, you're, you're dusty from head to toe. Your feet are dirty, your hands are dirty. And whenever you went into somebody's home, the people of that home would always wash your feet. That was the practice. In that, in that time, in that era, 2,000 years ago, that was common practice. The problem is, you've got all these, these 12 disciples, you've got Jesus, and you've got other followers. They've all come now for something to eat, and everybody is kind of looking at each other to see who's going to do the deed, who's going to do the foot washing. Now, I can tell you, this is usually done by, by slaves or by uh, servants, but at this particular time, there was no servants or slaves present. So it's like this elephant in the room. Everybody knows it, everybody sees it, but nobody's saying anything and nobody's doing anything. Disciples are looking at each other, wondering who's going to do the deed. And then finally, Jesus waited to see what would happen. Nothing happened. This is, Jesus did this so often. He used these opportunities to teach a lesson. Jesus gets down on his knees and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, this should never be because he's the rabbi, he's the teacher, he's the leader. But Jesus says this, if you do what I'm doing, then you're going to be blessed. Then you're going to be happy. 
You should be like one big happy family. How do, you, how do you find happiness? My friends, listen to me. It's not about me. It's about we. When you show up to serve other people, when you show up to put your life on the line for others, when you show up to give and to share and be sacrificial, that, my friends, is when you begin to experience true happiness. The happiest people are people who learn what it means not to live for themselves. The most miserable people are the ones who cannot get from me. This church is an antidote to a culture, to a society that is so self-centered. I'm going to tell you, what you and I need to know is that what God has called us to do more than anything is to love Him and to love other people. Some of you have heard of the debates about evolution and versus creationism. In 1925, John uh, Scopes went to trial. It was called the Scopes Monkey Trial. Some of you may have heard of that, 1925. And uh, basically, went to court. It was a theological contest to see who would win at the end of the day. And from that time on, there has been a battle going on, a battle raging, a cultural battle, if you will, between the evolutionists and the creationists. And we see different levels of it. Some, some Christians believe in aspects of evolution. Some are, are strictly no way. And, and I'm not going to get into that today. That's a subject for another day. But let me just say this. Out of that debate, out of that fight, rose up uh, apologetics, apologists. An apologist is somebody who tries to defend the faith, somebody who fights for the faith, somebody who gives all the reasons why you should believe and all the reasons why the Bible is true and all the reasons why the evolutionists are, are bad people. And, 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 and so what happened is that there was a line drawn in the sand and the Christians were saying, we're here, you're there. We have a, a, a corner on truth. You know nothing. We're smart. You're stupid. We're good. You're evil. We're going to heaven. You're going to hell. Can you imagine what that has done to the church in North America over the past hundred years? We, we have now become the enemy. And listen, anything on television, from, from The Simpsons to Glee to any other program that you see on TV, you're going to see the church being attacked constantly systematically attacked, and for all the wrong reasons. Listen to me. You and I are called not to be apologists, to, take, to be defenders of the faith. At least that's not your primary purpose. Your primary purpose is to love. I'm going to tell you this. Nothing demonstrates true Christianity quicker and more effectively than people who love each other. Listen to me. Jesus himself, in John chapter 17, what does he pray? He prays this. He prays that the disciples would love each other and care for each other. And he said, Jesus says this in his prayer, that the world will know me. The world will know that they're my disciples. By what? By their love for each other. Now, don't anybody go away from here saying, Pastor Ellen's an evolutionist. 
Pastor Ellen doesn't believe in defending the faith. I'm not saying that. What I'm trying to say is this. Your primary purpose and the primary purpose of Cross Church is to be an agency of love where we go from this, out, of these, out of these walls into a broken and hurting world and share the love of Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is what marked the early church. And that, my friends, is, is what caused explosive growth around the world. Tertullian, he said this about the first 300 years of Christianity. He says, at no other time in the history of Christianity did love so characterize the entire church as it did in the first 200 years. And listen to this. And Roman society took note. The Romans would exclaim, see how they love one another. The love that Christians had for one another set a standard Some would call it a supernatural standard, a standard that no one could achieve in their own strength, their own power, their own wisdom, or even according to their own motivation. My friends, listen to me. When you and I are controlled by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, it makes us not cranky, miserable defenders. It makes us lovers who care about the needs of others. And if anybody cares to know more, we invite you to come in and listen to what we've got to say but we will be known by our love. And this, my friends, is the picture that Jesus painted for the early believers. And those believers, those early believers, in simple obedience to Jesus Christ, did exactly what Jesus said. No wonder, no wonder that Christianity in North America has become so ineffective. I'm going to tell you, you can pray till you're blue in the face, But if you have love, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, it's like a clanging cymbal, like a gong. You want to really reach this world? Then sign up and help us care for the orphans in Burundi. Sign up and help us send our youth to Costa Rica. Sign up to help in Kids Club. Sign up to help in youth. Help us do the work of loving this broken and hurting world. Friends, that's what Cross Church is about. And we invite you to sign up and be part of the team. We invite you to sign up and be part of a small group. We invite you to sign up to to come to this banquet. Folks, it's not about the food. It's about making it possible for kids in Burundi to have medicine, have a place to live, get an education. That's what we're about. I want to share with you a letter that I got after last week's sermon. And uh, after the message, we took a young man out for a quick bite to eat on our way to the hospital. And right after, it wasn't long after we dropped him off, he sent me this amazing letter. Can I read it with you in closing? It's amazing. He says this. By the way, my my text last week, I'm going to read it to you again, Ephesians 2.19. You are members of God's very own family. And you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Listen to what he writes. He says, Dear Pastor, I've never really had the opportunity to thank you and our church. You guys have done so much for me and my family in the past, and I'm certain the future. You and the church were there for us growing up with food and clothes when we needed it. Mom had a lot of trouble supporting us being on her own when Dad was in jail. 
When my father was attacked in Regina and came home to the hospital, you were by his bedside. You showed that you cared a lot. You shared with him God's love. My father was a very troubled man, and until this day I wondered, did, did he know the Lord? That I will never know until I get to heaven one day. In my life, Cross Church has been there. I came up through Sunday school and kids' club. I never imagined back then that I would one day be part of this family. I had a lot of issues growing up. It seemed like people caring and going out of their way to help was just unheard of to us. Becoming a part of our amazing youth program really helped me. I came to the Lord through youth at age 14, summer 2010. My life really changed a lot. I was headed down some pretty bad roads, doomed to stay in the cycles that strangled my family. But God had a different plan. He rescued me. He gave me a hope and a future. Being part of Cross Church, to me, is more than just hanging out on Fridays or coming, worshiping, singing songs, hearing a sermon, and moving on. No, it's family. This is a 17-year-old writing. It's where I belong. It is home. Being able to serve, to give, to help out in any way is such a blessing in my life. Recently in English class, we were asked to define who we are. I had a difficult time finding anything else other than church and my relationship with the Lord. That's how he defines himself. It's so true. The sermons you have been preaching lately on belonging, on home, and on our church is amazing. I truly am rich. I am rich with this cross-church family, with love and with God. I'm honored to be part of the family, to be able to serve whenever I can, and to be going to Costa Rica this year representing our church. I don't know where I would be without you guys. Thank you for all the ways you have helped me out. The lessons I have learned as I walk from boyhood into manhood, I'm honored to be doing it along such amazing people. I've been through a lot, yes, but I've never been alone. I thank God every day for my church family and for my home. Thank you for speaking into my life. Without an earthly family to spur me on, I have had cross church. You guys are my family. It's through you guys I'm disciplined and I'm helped and cared for, loved and encouraged. It's such a dark world, it's hard to go the right way, but Cross Church in this community stands as a bright beacon illuminating this dark world, showing the way for me, this Métis, orphaned teenager who grew up in northwest Winnipeg. I look at the people I grew up with, and I look at my earthly relatives, and I could have ended up like that, but I did God uses our church in amazing ways. I can't wait until I'm 18 to so formally become a member of Cross Church. One day during my education, maybe I'll be a pastoral intern under you. That would be amazing. You personally inspired me to devote all I have and can be to the furthering of the kingdom. I have learned that if you serve God with your everything, He will provide for all your earthly needs. Seek first after the kingdom of God and the ways of righteousness, then all these things will be added to you as well. Matthew 6.33 It is so true. My life is an example of that. Pastor, continue doing what you're doing. Continue to give our entire lives to God's service. It's such an honor. I plan on doing business now. He plans on going to university to take business. So that when I go, when I go for my Bachelor of Theology, I'll have other skills like how to run a church. That's my hope. 
I could go so many different courses like medical or business to make money and live in comfort, but that doesn't matter to me. Thank you for everything. I will. I always pray for you. Continue leading our great church. Your guidance and leadership is needed. Love, Matthew, your fellow slave to Christ. Matthew, you stand up, please, so we can say, see you. Let's give him a hand. Can we do that? Turn around, Matthew. Matthew is one of the young people who's going to Costa Rica this summer. And uh, people have gotten behind him. Matthew's in foster care right now. And, uh, and knows that this is a family that really loves him. If you want to help support him, folks, by all means, we'd sure, we'd sure love to see him get all his funds and so that he can go. He's really excited about it. I gotta tell you, you know, Matt, you're 17 years old and you wanna be an intern here, and I'm gonna say, yeah, you keep doing what you're doing and keep talking like that, and for sure you'll be an intern here. But Matt, at 17 years of age, understands what church is all about. He understands that we're a family. He understands that this is a family that makes a difference in this broken and hurting world. Now, can I just say this to you today? It's, uh, after a service like this, when you hear about sympathy and happiness and belonging and, and love, you say, where can I go and sign up to get this stuff? Well, folks, that's the wrong question. We're not asking you to sign up to get anything. What I'm asking you to do is sign up to give something. I'm asking you to sign up to do something. Because here's, here's the great paradox. Ready? It's in giving that you receive. It's in doing the will of God that you receive the things that your heart longs for. And I'm telling you, it takes a massive risk. It's a huge risk to step out and, and do what you're not used to doing. But folks, that is what we're all about here. And there's, there's a lot of you yet who still have not really put both feet in the water. And I'm not pressuring anybody, but I'm telling you, if you want to know what it means to be a member at Cross Church, this is it. It's saying, I'm part of the team. I want to link up with you, Pastor. I want you, I want to make a difference in this broken and hell. Be like Matt. Can I ask everybody to stop me, please? Last week we had a, a director of a ministry with us here in our service. And I've been in the church all my life, Pastor Allen. And I have to tell you that the message you preached today is what I needed to hear. I needed to be reminded that church is about belonging. It's about making a commitment. And that's, uh, that's what I'm going to keep on doing. I've been doing this for years. I'm going to keep on doing this. I'm going to keep on asking you to, to, to commit, to commit, to commit. Because I know this, is that you become whatever you're committed to. I know this, the happiest people in the world are the people who belong and are doing something significant. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence here. Thank you, God, for the great and exciting things that you want to continue to do for this church.
God, I'm so thankful that we get to be part of the team that establishes and helps further establish the orphanage in Burundi. And, and we're thrilled that we get to be part of this, this ministry to the southern parts of the Philippines. And God, thank you for the great things that we've been able to do in the past. Thank you, God, that we could pour into the lives of, of young people like Matt Button and see the change in his life. And there's so many like that here today whose lives have been truly transformed. God, I pray right now that you give us the grace, the wisdom to, to not just be hearers of the Word of God, but doers. And we've been told today what we need to do. You're calling us not to sign up to get, but to sign up to do. Go with us as we go from this place. Those who stay behind to help set up for the great missions banquet coming up next weekend. We pray, Father, that you give us strength, keep us safe as we climb ladders, and grant to us great time of fellowship. And we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, I really love you.